Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of the Total Soccer Show. No music, no ads, just some roster analysis. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Here with me to break down Greg Berhalter's 27-player roster is a gentleman who we can only assume was on Berhalter's list of alternates. We saw the list bandied (laughs) about. We don't know for sure. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. It was close. You missed out. But it sounds like if you have a solid preseason, you might still get a chance. Do, 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 do. Okay, I couldn't do it without that, Taylor. Like, the no music was really throwing me off. I think it was throwing the listeners off too i just had to get that last little beat leading fair, in fair fair um yeah i think i was close that piece of paper i uh i was really curious about what it was and thankfully yeah. somebody asked a follow-up question about it as we were on the the usmnt's press conference earlier today i think i was close it sounds like brandon vasquez and john tolkien were close among mm-hmm. others it's a pretty good group uh to be in i suppose if we're gonna yeah. miss the roster i might as well do it with those guys that's fair. That's fair. That's a very magnanimous way to begin, Joe Lowry. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the players that didn't make it and some players who were just on the outside a little bit later. But first off, let's start with this roster. The U.S. will face Morocco and Uruguay in friendlies on June 1st and June 5th, respectively. Then they've got CONCACAF Nations League games against Granada in Austin on June 10th, away to El Salvador four days later. So four games in a pretty short turnaround time. Yeah. Uh, players will start reporting to tra- uh, training camp in Cincinnati uh, this weekend. And we're going to get three goalkeepers in this camp. It's going to be Ethan Horvath, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. No Gabriel Slonina. Uh, he did declare for the United States, so that's very exciting. In your face, Poland. Uh, but Berhalter <laughs> mentioned that his form just wasn't good enough to get him on this roster. We had a long conversation about who the third choice goalkeeper would be for this one. Uh, Joe, I think you were leaning towards Sean Johnson. Graham and I both leaned towards... Uh, towards Sebastian, uh, Stephen Fry, not Sebastian Fry, Stephen Fry. Instead, it's Ethan Horvath. Uh, are you surprised to see him there? Or are you okay with it? Not really. I'm, I'm okay with it, Taylor. Mm-hmm. I think he is a logical choice. Has he been playing much in England? No, not really. But has he been pretty good for the U.S. when he's been involved over the last year or so? Yeah, I think so. I think... It sounded like it was a difficult conversation for Greg Berhalter to tell Sean Johnson, hey, you're, you're not going to be a part of this particular camp. That doesn't mean the door is closed for the World Cup. But it seems like from what Berhalter said that between Horvath and, and Johnson, it was fairly close. And that, that squares with my reasoning on these players, right? It squares. There's not a whole lot separating a couple of these guys in goal. I do think, Taylor, and you mentioned it, the biggest storyline about the goalkeeper position right now is Gaga Slonina choosing the U.S. The, the, the Poland is the U.S.'s real dual national rival, not Mexico. I think that's huge, <laughs> right? And it, it also shows, I think, a, a healthy behind-the-scenes environment that Baralter yeah. could go to Gaga Slonina and say, hey, you're not playing well right now with the fire, which is true and, and ill-timed after I wrote a piece for The Athletic about how good he is. But anyway, <laughs> I won't take it personally, Gaga. But it, it shows a level of maturity from Gaga Slonina. And it also shows, I think, a really healthy and beneficial environment where someone can go and and tell a young player, hey, you're not going to be involved right now, but we still really believe in you and would love for you to be involved down the road. It sounds like this situation was really well handled by Greg Berhalter and by U.S. Soccer. And it's exciting, of course, to see somebody as talented as Gaga Solina be a part of this national team. Joe, responsible for Gaga's downturn in form, (laughs) got that in the notes. We've got nine defenders, four center backs, Walker Zimmerman, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Aaron Long, and Eric Palmer-Brown, and five, it seems like, fullbacks, Anthony Robinson and uh, George Bellow on the left, Jedi Robinson on the left, as we always like to see him. On the right, uh, we've got DeAndre Yedlin, we've got Reggie Cannon, and we've got Joe, Joe Scally, a fellow Joe. Are you excited to see Joe Scally included for more than just the name? I am. I am, absolutely, because it sounds like, 
and, and couldn't quite tell from the comments that Baralter made. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the backup left back spot in particular is still mm-hmm. really open right now. And he didn't mention Scally in that conversation. He mentioned Bello, who's on the roster. He mentioned Sam Vines. He mentioned John Tolkien. And he mentioned Kevin Paredes. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that means Scally's really only viewed as a right back by Greg Baralter. I, I don't think we need to speculate in that. But either way, I'm excited to see him involved. We know that he hasn't been playing great for much in Gladbach relative to how he started the season. He's been fine, right? I think that's fair, Taylor. He's been fine for, for Gladbach in the last couple of months, not getting a ton of minutes, but he's still certainly playing and getting on the field for Munch and Gladbach, or, or he was before the end of the season. I think it's a great time to try and get him involved. I hope we see some of him in this window. I'm higher on Scally than I am on someone like Bello, even, even putting Scallo, Scally, <laughs> Scallo, Scally at left back and, and getting some minutes from him. That would probably be my preference over really getting another extended look at George Bello. But overall, with Sergino Dest out with an injury, I don't think there's any real surprises here in this fullback group. Joe, uh, Side question for you. We've heard you volunteer to give up body parts to players. You've now tried to create what I'm assuming is a Frankenstein's monster yeah, of Joe Scally and George Bello by making it Scallo. Are, are you a mad scientist? Just real quick. Just wondering, just so we have it on record. Just need to know. I think there's a chance, but Taylor, you are too, because I think you just made the world's most handsome goalkeeper by combining <laughs> Sebastian Legette and Stefan That's Fry. <laughs> so I think we're on the same page with that one. All right. I don't need to tell HR as long as we're both <laughs> on the same page. Maybe I probably do. Uh, midfielders. There's eight of them. We've got Kellen Acosta of LAFC, Tyler Adams of Leipzig, Luca De La Torre of Heracles, for now, we think. Weston McKinney is back. We don't know how much he will play. That was the one player in particular Berhalter highlighted as, as yeah. sort of wanting to see what he's capable of when he comes into camp because he is still recovering uh, from the broken bone. But it seems like he will get maybe some minutes in at least one of the Nations League games, maybe a start there as well. Georgia Mihailovic, Yunus Musa, Christian Roldan, and Malik Tillman. I have now learned that it's Malik based on Berhalter saying that very deliberately multiple <laughs> times in this press conference. Joe, I was surprised to see him listed as a midfielder yeah. uh, because when we talked about him, I think we all kind of had him as more of a forward, but here he is, a midfielder. And and this speaks to how little me and you and a yep. whole bunch of other folks out there have seen of Malik Tillman and yep. maybe even extending Berhalter into that camp. I'm sure mm-hmm. he has other, other – I'm sure he has access to footage that we don't. But Tillman plays in a regional league in Germany with Bayern too. He's gotten a few minutes with Bayern in the league and in the cup competitions, but – He's, he's still a pretty unknown quantity. So he's been involved with the USU system in the past, I think most recently on the U15 level. And he played with Gio Reyna and a couple of other current national teamers in that U15 level, at that U15 level way back when. I'm excited about Toman. There's something exciting about the unknown. I have no idea if he's going to turn out to be a good player. Baralter clearly thinks he has potential to call him in over somebody like Eric Williamson or, or James Sands, who he mentioned are, are players that were at least in the conversation for this window, getting Tillman involved, I think, says a lot about how Berhalter sees him. And one of my main questions when looking at this roster was, Taylor, seeing him as a midfielder. And we don't know a ton about him as a player, like I said, but Berhalter then elaborated further when he was asked about Tillman's position and basically said he can be and is an attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1, so that number 10. He can be a pocket winger in a 4-3-3, which just means uh, basically how Berhalter uses his wingers, where the wingers come inside and set up shop in the half spaces and the fullbacks overlap. That's what a pocket winger is. So he could be a pocket winger in a 4-3-3, or he could be one of those number eights in a 4-3-3, depending on his defensive work. And I think Berhalter will get a closer look at that coming up in, in really a few days now. Where Tillman plays, and, and same with George Mihailovic, we didn't get a chance to ask about Georgie, but those are two of my biggest questions. They're not that big questions in the grand scheme of things, but I am curious about where those guys are going to be positioned. Uh, and I, 
not joking at all, Joe, how, if not disappointed were you to not see Paxton Pomacall, how surprised were you? Because it did seem like he is maybe playing himself back into contention. Uh, also not a player that was discussed too much in that press conference. I'm not that surprised, Taylor, to be honest. I think there's a lot of eights in MLS right now, especially. I think there's a lot of depth there with uh, Keaton Parks, who was not mentioned by Berhalter and, and seems pretty clearly to not be rated by Berhalter which isn't something I love, but you can almost understand it when you think about some of the defensive work that he requires of his central midfielders. But Keaton Parks isn't there. Paxton Pomichol isn't there. Eric Williamson isn't there. Those are guys that were all, or I think should all be in this conversation. But for me, it's not ridiculous that someone like Georgie or Christian Waldan or, or in this case, Tillman, if you want to take a shot on an unknown quantity a little bit, it's not outrageous to me that those players aren't involved. And we've got our seven forwards, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, and Haji Wright. Haji Wright, we thought would be there. Uh, he is there. Berhalter was asked about him and basically said, like, yeah, he's bounced around, but now he's with Antalya Spore and is scoring goals, and they really like him, and they think he's developed, so we want to see what he can do. And I think we talked about him previously as a player that maybe we should just lower expectations a little bit and then hope for the best, but I think I still come away from this one thinking that we're going to see a lot of Jesus Ferreira in these next four games. And that's a fascinating thing to me, Taylor, the fact that there are only two number yeah. nines on this roster. When, when I got the roster to my inbox, I thought, okay, Tillman is just listed as midfielder, but he's going to be a nine. I, don't, I didn't really have any basis for that other than sort of the conversations that we'd had on the show and that, that we'd had with Graham. But Baralter said, yeah, there's really only two nines here, Haji Wright and Jesus Ferreira. We're going to be seeing a lot of both of those players, I would imagine, maybe more of Jesus Ferreira than Haji Wright. But I was surprised. No Brandon Vasquez. Baralter called him out, and we kind of referenced that earlier. Jordan Pifok is apparently dealing with an injury, so that's why he's not involved. Uh, same with Josh Sargent, although I don't think he's really all that close. Daryl DK we know is... is uh, or at least he was injured in England with West Brom, and I believe there's already been a conversation announced that that he was never going to be involved in this camp over the summer. Mm -hmm. So there aren't that many nines left. I was just surprised that it really did go all the way down to two. Brandon Vasquez would have made some sense here to me, but clearly Baralter is confident. Oh, Ricardo Pepe, another one who uh, mm -hmm. Baralter said, basically, we're just giving him a break. He's not going to be involved in this camp. Uh, that doesn't mean he won't be involved down the road. So yeah, a lot, a lot of Jesus Ferreira, a lot of Haji Wright, which I think will be helpful for us in a way as we will get uh, just a larger number of minutes to watch and evaluate those two particular players. Uh, so let's talk some more about some of the people who aren't in this roster now that we've talked about those that are. Burhalter started the press conference by basically yeah. running through the list of people who weren't going to be there. Uh, we've already mentioned that Gaga Slonina was, was ruled out due to his current form, but will play for the U.S. at some point, and that's very exciting. Sean Johnson also, uh, Berhalter highlighting, was in good form, but they wanted to look at Zach, Matt, and Ethan, so we needed uh, basically the three goalkeepers in camp. We wanted to give them each some time, so Sean Johnson uh, had to make way. Uh, in... In terms of the rest of the roster, I'll just run through briefly. Uh, injuries, he mentioned Serginho Dest, Gio Reyna, Jordan Pifak, as you said, Josh Sargent, as you said, Chris Richards, uh, Ricardo Pepe, Gianluca Busio, James Sands all needed rest because they went from MLS seasons straight into European seasons, but all of them still have a chance uh, to make that World Cup roster. Eric Williamson getting back to fitness, left off, but still on the radar. So too, uh, Joe, you mentioned this previously, but to reiterate, Sam Vines, Kevin Paredes, and John Tolkien could all be considered backup options at left back. 
the major one that people <laughs> I think will be talking about is John Brooks, who Greg Berhalter initially began by saying that he's moving clubs and they want him to use they want to use this time basically to look at other players while John Brooks moves clubs. I think it was Jeff Carlisle asked a clarifying yeah. question about that. <laughs> um, and the clarifi- clarification was that they want to be able to see Brooks in his new club environment and then see. Uh, if what he does suits what the U.S. needs him to do, but we didn't think there would be enough game time to bring him in. This is me paraphrasing. This is not an exact quote. Uh, but overall, he's not out permanently, but we want uh, basically him to fit into our game model and make us better. Joe, I, I will admit I'm very confused by this answer. And and I think it basically just comes down to there are reasons Greg Berhalter is not including John Brooks. He doesn't really want to make them public aside from he just kind of doesn't fit. And that's as clear as he wants to be. And so that seems like about as much of an answer as we're going to get. Yeah. And for me, nothing has really changed here regarding John Brooks and what we thought of this situation. So it seems like there's a couple of different parts here. There's one yeah. part that we just don't know much about, which seems like there's something that happened behind the scenes. And we don't know what that is, but it, it is one of the only logical explanations for why all of a sudden he was involved in World Cup qualifying. And before that, he'd been a key player for this U.S. team, a team that plays aggressively and plays direct, but still needs some passing from the back. But he's not involved anymore, and he hasn't been for quite some time. So there has to be some sort of reason for that. And the reason that Berhalter states, this is the other part, is that basically, yeah, he's just not doing the stuff that we need him to do right now. He's not uh, – and this we can infer from later things that Berhalter said in the press conference when asked about what he wants from center backs that are here to replace Miles Robinson. He, John Brooks isn't a guy that's going to give you – really aggressive defending in behind, right? He's He's got speed over longer distances, but he's not quick in tight spaces. He lumbers. He lumbers around out there. He can win balls in the air. He can poke the ball away, but he's not really the guy you want necessarily protecting a bunch of space inside your own half after your team's pushed forward. I understand that, but Brooks has never been that guy. He mm-hmm. wasn't that guy when Berthold was using him before, either in World Cup qualifying against Canada, when Canada have Alfonso Davies ready to torch you down the wings. He wasn't that guy then. He wasn't that guy back in the Nations League when he was pinging balls against Honduras in the semifinal. And he's not that guy now. So something has changed either, and, and this doesn't seem likely mm-hmm. to me, but either Berthold has realized, actually, we really need to prioritize mobility, and John Brooks just can't do that for us. That's one possibility. Or the other possibility is that something happened behind the scenes that Berhalter's not going to discuss, and he's had plenty of chances to do that at this point, and that really this situation isn't going to change. New club or not new club, he could be at Wolfsburg, he could be at, at the Houston Dynamo. It doesn't really seem like it's going to matter at this point. Did you say the the first explanation didn't seem as likely to you? No, I, I, maybe I did. If I did, I misspoke. Uh, okay. I think I think there was absolutely a chance that something happened behind the yeah. scenes here that we don't know about. In fact, I think that is the most likely explanation. Oh no, I'm saying the one about him, like basically Berhalter deciding, never mind, we want to do something different with this position than what we've been doing, and so Brooks no longer fits. Yeah, that, that one just doesn't seem that likely mm-hmm. to me. I guess because of all the time he had before then, sort of after the U.S. already changed tax a little bit and became yeah. this much more aggressive pressing four three three defensive shape kind of team. If Brooks was playing key World Cup qualifiers and Nations League games then, I don't really understand what's changed that would make him not fit so much now. And and Greg Berhalter has, for a lot of players on a lot of occasions, been maybe more clear than some of his predecessors would have been. And so if it were the case that 
we initially wanted to play this way using this style and be this direct or have a center back who could do this. And that worked for us, but then it meant we were compromised in other areas. So then we had to adjust and that meant leaving John Brooks out, but that allowed us to incorporate two or three other players. Like, I think that would make a lot of sense. And I think it would go a long way towards giving a concrete reason. But when we don't get that, it ends up just being a lot of speculation and then rumor spreads. And I, I do still wish we had clarification, but I think ultimately where we have sort of landed in talking about John Brooks in the U.S. roster is where I think we're going to stay, which is it's very unlikely he's going to be involved. If he is later on, it will be a major talking point. But for now, we're just going to have to content ourselves with John Brooks not being in the team without much clarity as to why that's the case. Unless, Joe, I guess like I'd like to know, because I think not to beat a dead horse here, but I think for me, I still feel confused about this situation. I get the impression that you are slightly less confused. So on a like one to 10 confusion scale, <laughs> where, where are you on this one, Joe? I mean, I am confused. I'll say I'm mm-hmm. at a three, but okay. I, I'm at the point where I've accepted what's happening because it, okay. it just doesn't feel like anything's going to change. Peralter doesn't want John Brooks to be part of the team. There's any number of reasons for that. The most likely reason to me feels like something happened behind the yeah. scenes. Peralter doesn't seem to want to say that, which I completely understand. I probably wouldn't want to either in his position. But it's it's still unfortunate because I think John Brooks is a good player. I think he can help this team. He does stuff that no other player does. And for me, I view that as an advantage. But according to Baralder's explanation, which may or may not cover up reason one, yeah. that may actually be a disadvantage in Baralder's eyes. But at the end of the day, we don't know. I'm sitting at a three. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and I should add, this is like not the best transition to make because I'm moving from sort of criticizing the vagueness of Burhalter's explanation to also praising some of his answers uh, in in a different way than just like, I really appreciated the clarity. But his answer to the uh, Brandon Vasquez question uh, really sort of showed the rock and a hard place situation that these press conferences are, at least in my mind, because he's asked about Brandon, Brandon Vasquez. His answer was he was close. He was really close. We watched all his last games. He's done a good job this season. He's scoring goals. Uh, and then he mentioned a goal specifically that he had scored where he liked his movement in the box but he couldn't remember the opponent. I'm not trying to sell this to shade Greg Berhalter, but it's a reminder that, number one, there's no way he's able to watch all of these guys every single game because it's a huge squad. I think he watches as much as he can, and he probably watches selected highlights for what he needs to see or to see how they're developing. But I think there's no way you can say in a press conference, yeah, we haven't seen enough of him yet because that's always going to get you negative attention. Simultaneously, if he were to say, yeah, I've been watching him and I'm really frustrated that his first touch lets him down and he's like unable to make, like play on the half turn and then get a shot off. Because though that is a direct answer and does give us clarity, and I'm not saying that is the case for Brandon Vasquez, that seems to always be the criticism for number nines. Uh, but in this case, what I'm saying is that if you say that, you are publicly the national team manager saying the specific criticisms you have of a player and who knows what that will do to his club confidence or just his overall confidence and I don't think you want to put it out there in a press conference that yeah he's not doing this and this well and that needs to be better I think unless you're trying to use that as a motivational tool I think what we end up getting and I and I understand why sometimes it's more frustrating than others is that Berhalter is always going to give us a little bit of information but can't reveal the whole hand sure. so if anything when he does I think that tells us that he is doing that deliberately. That's sort of my takeaway on his mixed explanations at times. And it's a weird position to be in just as a human being to have private conversations with a bunch of people that even 
even more people really when you think about fans and, and people in the media want to know about, right? They want to know, like, what did you tell this guy? Why is this guy here? Why is he not here? And I I do sympathize with Greg Berhalter and other people in his position in different teams all over the world that have to balance that. You don't want to hang anybody out to dry. That's that's not something that he or, or almost any manager is trying to do. But it is also part of your job to try and relay some of these conversations and some of your own thoughts to a separate group of people. So it's a, it's a difficult situation. I think the Brandon Vasquez explanation made sense. I, I probably would have brought him, but I don't know all the details here. And I'm not really hot and bothered that that didn't happen. It seems like Brandon Vasquez can do the job at the national team level, but it definitely didn't sound like the door was closed. If he continues to light it up, we could absolutely see him in the fall before the World Cup, or we could see him at the World Cup, or we could see him after the World Cup. And I think all of those outcomes are pretty much fine. Uh, and now comes the uh, portion of the roster breakdown episode where we just sort of jump around the topics that we want oh, to yeah. discuss. Uh, Joe, uh, one interesting one uh, from Sam Stachel. He said um, that Berhalter had previously mentioned uh, playing with a back three. Yeah. Uh, Stachel, I think, trying to get to his overall question of what else are you prioritizing? What are some kind of changes we should expect to see? But worth noting that when Sam said, you had mentioned previously that we're going to, we might see, you might experiment with a back three in these games. Berhalter interjected. I think so. I think so. So my guess is that we will get a back three at some point. I don't know if Reggie Cannon will be part of that back three, but a man can hope. Uh, but in terms of what else he is prioritizing, uh, continuing to move this group forward, setting a good foundation, establishing goals for the World Cup, because we won't have time to do that as the tournament gets closer, uh, potentially experience experimenting with a new formation slash definitely experimenting with a new formation, emphasizing our strengths, including defensive pressure and verticality. Joe, does that make you more or less or as excited to see this team play in these game, games? It, nothing, nothing has changed for me based off of that answer. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for Sam. Maybe that quote will still run. I just yeah. don't really know what we can do with that. Um, yeah, that's definitely not what he was probably hoping for when it comes to pulling something for an yeah. article about like new ideas. It's uh, okay. Yeah, Build a foundation. It's basically, yeah. we're kind of doing a little bit of groundwork, yeah. but it's a lot of the same. It's, a, it. it's a tough one, but I yeah. do think that it is an interesting point that Brother confirmed. Yeah, we're looking at a three back formation. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that means I'm, – I'm probably overthinking this, but I don't know if that means we'll see it in an actual game yeah. or if it means they're just running it in, uh, in camp. I think it is important, and this is one thing Matt Doyle wrote about this in a piece he did kind of looking ahead to this window. I think it's important to provide some tactical variance to how this team plays. And the three at the back shape is something we've seen from the U.S. before. Now, it didn't look good in World Cup qualifying, but I think there is a chance to turn it into something for this U.S. team. There's that part of things. And Doyle specifically mentioned maybe varying up the press a little bit and some of the defensive rotations. It's an interesting thought, and I'm sure it's something that's on Berhalter's mind. Yeah, just as as much as he and the rest of the U.S. men's national team coaching staff are watching England and every other team in their World Cup group, right? Even though they don't know everyone in that group, all of those other teams are watching them too. Everybody is out here drawing up detailed tactical game plans of the opponents. Now, the game plans might be good, they might be bad, I don't know. But adding in a dose of variety, I think, is really useful and important. So I, I do think we will see a three at the back shape at some point in this window, especially, Taylor, because Weston McKinney is going to be on a minutes restriction. You do have almost the gift of temporarily not having to leave McKinney out of a team or Musa or whoever it is out of the midfield to put an extra center back on. You're already missing probably your best central midfielder or one of your best central midfielders, or you will not be able to play him every minute of this camp. So maybe use one of the games where Weston's not going to play and stick Eric Palmer Brown or stick CCV on the field next to Zimmerman and whoever else is that extra center back. This feels like a good time to try out some different stuff like that. 
What do you think might be tried out in the midfield? Do you think we'll continue to see the sort of midfield three that we've seen, regardless of if they're in a back three or a back four? Or do you think the inclusion of Mihailovic and Tillman could potentially mean we do something different? I don't think we'll see a whole lot of different positional mm-hmm. alignments in midfield. If we see a back three, I bet it'll be a, just a double pivot and it'll be a 3-4-3. Three, three. That's what Berhalter's used before. And so if it's three center backs, we'll have the two wing backs, which are basically just full backs. Not a lot changes for their job. They're still high and they're still wide. But instead of having three central midfielders, one six and two eights, it'll just be two. So it might be Adams and Musa. It might be De La Torre and Adams. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it'll be two instead of three. And then I'd wager that we would still see that same front three. Because there's only two number nines, it seems like, according to Berhalter in this camp, I don't expect we'll see any two-striker shapes. So that kind of rules out the, mm-hmm. the three-man midfield with maybe a 3-5-2. I don't think we'll see that. Where, where Georgie and Tillman play is a question mark. And I'm really curious to evaluate those two players, maybe more than anybody else in this window, maybe the center backs, whoever's starting next to Walker Zimmerman on any given game, in any given game. But Tillman and Mihailovic, yes, we've seen Mihailovic with the national team before. We've seen him with the Olympic qualifying team. Not that that went very well. But I think those two players are relative unknowns with this current iteration of the national team. And seeing where they play, number one, and how they play, number two, is interesting to me. Are they wingers? Are they eights? Those, to me, I think are the only two spots that Brother would use them in at this point based mm-hmm. off of what he said. But I think that is another experiment. It's a small experiment. It's a personnel-based experiment. But I do think it is an experiment. We probably won't get a ton of experimentation when it comes to who plays center back. Maybe Reggie Cannon gets thrown in there if they're in a back three. Uh, but we would assume, I'm assuming at least, that we will get probably Zimmerman and Cameron Carter-Vickers in at least one game. Aaron Long will get opportunities. So too will EPB. Brian Charetta had a good point. Uh, what is striking about this is that none of these four players were on the team at the start of World Cup qualifying yeah. in September. That does show you how much can change due to personnel question marks or injuries or what have you. Uh, but I think I am also, in terms of players, we're really excited to evaluate. I am excited to see Cameron Carter-Vickers back in there. Has the eight caps, but hasn't been around in a while. Uh, we've talked about him many, many, many times in many different ways, but we would assume he'll get a, a decent number of minutes, and I really hope that he has a solid outing, not just because we need strong center backs in the World Cup, but because it's been a very stop-start start to his career both at club level and at national team level so i'm hoping that he can come in have some good games and remind everybody that he is very good uh joe any other defenders you wanted to talk about uh briefly or at length well just quickly one correction to me as i yad along to Mm. you yadding along to brian sharetta walker zimmerman was in that september window but that is semantics it doesn't really matter but i just wanted to to cover our ground to cover our ground here (laughs) um as far as the defenders go, I mm-hmm. think uh, I think we're going to see a lot of Aaron Long in this window. And I yeah. I don't have any major issues with that. But mm-hmm. when Berhalter was talking about some of these center backs and when he was asked about them, he looped Eric Palmer-Brown and CCV together. And I think there's mm-hmm. understandable reasons for that. They're both players who have spent some time with Greg Berhalter's national team, both of them, but both very little time with the national team. Aaron Long, yeah, he's been out for a while or he was out for a while with an Achilles injury, the same injury that Miles Robinson suffered recently for Atlanta. He's back, and he was in that last window of World Cup qualifying. He's, he's been involved with the U.S. even earlier on in the 2022 calendar year, and he was Berhalter's guy from day one, from the very first January camp back in 2019, throughout those games in the January window, and throughout really most of Berhalter's tenure before the injury, Aaron Long was the guy. And I want to see CCV, and I'd be curious to see Eric Palmer-Brown as well, but especially CCV, even just for Graham's sake, uh, noted Celtic and Rangers fan Graham Ruffin. I think that would be, I think that would be great, but... 
I am expecting to see Aaron Long eat up the lion's share of the minutes opposite Walker Zimmerman. Maybe that means he gets two games. Maybe that means he gets three games. I just think Long has the inside track right now. And mm-hmm. while that's less fun, I do think that might be a, an accurate reflection of how Berhalter views that center back spot next to Zimmerman. Uh, we also learned from this press conference that he calls him Cam, not CCV. Cam and I Vickers, think he went out yeah. of his way to say Eric, not EPB. So he did. He did say EPB once. Okay, he said he it, and I was like, yes, accurate. <laughs> we, we got him. <laughs> uh, Joe, a couple other uh, quick little takeaways, or one major one for me uh, would just be he was asked uh, Berhalter about expanded World Cup size or expanded roster size, I should say, um, and mentioned that their hope is that the Qatar squad size will be twenty six. Yeah. Uh, mentioned they have 27 in this one, specifically calling out Weston McKinney as being un- the uncertainty there. Uh, but I would be really excited to have 26 players in Qatar and to make that a more permanent thing because 23 sometimes doesn't feel like enough. Maybe it gives an advantage to bigger teams, but overall, I like the idea of having a few more players to roll with and to kind of uh, have in different options in different scenarios. I'm totally with you, Taylor. I think expanded World Cup rosters make sense, not just for this cycle, but I think really forever given how many games teams are playing. And, and when you talk about expanding the Club World Cup and adding in different competitions, MLS is, is starting an expanded league, Leagues Cup next year. Leagues and entities are hungry for more games and in a way that maybe players just aren't right now because they're already playing so many games. So in this roster, in this situation in particular, not just for the U.S., but all over the world, in the June FIFA international window, a whole bunch of guys like Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah and a bunch of other players in this U.S. squad are coming off of a long European season where they've already traveled back and forth to their countries to play World Cup qualifiers. They played a bunch of games in the league and in different cup competitions. They played a ton of games. So I think expanding the squad for this tournament, in particular Nations League and these friendlies, you got a good number of players in this. Is it 26 or 27, Taylor? I just lost the number. Uh, 27 in 27. This, yeah, yeah, so you got 27 for... here in June. You'll probably see something similar in September. Maybe you'll see it a little tighter. And then, yeah, expand World Cup rosters. I think it makes sense I, I would almost, I don't, I don't want to call it unsafe if it is a smaller roster, but I think generally increasing the roster size is going to be better for player health. Agreed. Especially coming after or during a pandemic, but then also combined uh, with it being in the middle of the season. <laughs> like, I think there is going to be more sort of flexibility required because who knows who's going to get hurt in yeah. September or October, and then there's got to be some changes. So I, I would hope that a, an expanded World Cup roster would help with that a little bit. Uh, one other player specifically mentioned or asked about was Richie Ledesma. Berhalter mentioned he spoke to him, but he, Ledesma, feels that the season was mentally and physically taxing. Uh, Ledesma needs time to recover and prepare for next season, not and that he's not ready to make an impact to compete for the squad at this stage. None of that surprised me, Joe, but it did have me wondering. On a couple different occasions, Berhalter mentioned talking to players who didn't make this squad and talking to them about what comes next. And I'm sure he meant in terms of focusing on their preseason, having a good start to the season, that the door is always open. But I caught just a teeny bit. I'm not saying it's there. This is my like conspiracy theory, what have you, uh, or not even a conspiracy theory, just a theory. There, there was just a vague vibe to me of I talked to them about what happens after the World Cup. And it was the first time that I've really wondered if they've already started contract negotiation talks with Burhalter hmm. in the lead up to the World Cup. Because historically, it's been the case that the U.S. tends to renew coaches if they like what they're doing. We can debate that at another time. And maybe we'll do a 101 about when you, sh- when you should fire your national team manager because we get that question a lot. Is it good to stick around for two cycles? But I, I sort of get why Burhalter would have that thinking. 
tanking because if you've got a ton of youngsters uh, already in this team and then youngsters who want to make it in, you want to remind them that there will be opportunities. And for somebody like Sonina, who could make the World Cup, but I think we would all be surprised to see starting, you want to give him assurances about what will happen after Qatar. And that's where I think maybe that's what Berhalter has to do is mention like, you know, I'm planning to stick around if all things go well. And that's where I think you could really kind of push on and, and really challenge for a spot. I, w- I wouldn't hate that, but I think it could be a very uh, negative headline grabber if things don't go well in Qatar. Yeah, Taylor, you texted me a little bit about this as we were watching the press conference yeah. about, you know, maybe wondering if there had been some contract talks between Berhalter and, and U.S. soccer I don't know if that's the case or not. It it would surprise me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule it out as a as a possibility at all. But really, I just keep coming back to how bad of a look and and for me, how bad of an idea that is for U.S. soccer to do that before the World Cup. It, yeah. it just feels like this is a time for Baralta and for U.S. soccer in general to say, "Hey, let's let's get to 2022 first. We made it to the World Cup. That's great. That's an improvement over last time around. Good work, team. Now let's actually go out and, and try to perform with this World Cup." Because if Baralta goes and, and the U.S. team just gets shellacked, and I'm, I'm not saying th- – this is a mm-hmm. reductive way to look at it. But if the U.S. goes and gets shellacked in their three group stage games and they are tossed at the bottom of the group, are they really going to renew Greg Baralta? I don't know what that's going to look like. But if you already have that decision made beforehand, it feels like you're putting yourself in, one, a really bad negotiating position because uh, you could have <laughs> had a much stronger stance if you'd waited like six months. And two, just a really bad PR position. So I don't know. That maybe hasn't stopped U.S. soccer before. But uh, it is an interesting question, Taylor. Brother does use a lot of those looking forward and after the yeah. World Cup kinds of things. I think that's just because he honestly cares about the direction of this team and about soccer in the United States, yeah. which is a good thing. I think that's something he really does care about. Maybe less to do with the contract stuff. But like I said, I have no idea. Joe, do you have any ideas on anything else about this U.S. roster? Do you feel like we've discussed it at length already? I, I like the squad. This is my mm-hmm. last thought. I, I don't really have anything to complain about here. The John Brooks situation I've already given up on, so <laughs> I don't have much energy to really yeah. expend towards that at this point, but that is a, a gripe and a fair one. Goalkeeper is fine. Center back is fine. Chris Richards is injured, so we're going to get a look at some other guys. It would have been fun to see him, but he, he can't really be here. Fullback spots are fine. Midfield is good. I like the fact that there's some experimentation in there. Would I have loved to see, like to see a couple other players? Maybe. Maybe that goes for the nine spot too. But the wingers make perfect sense. Gio Reyna's injured, so get Pulisic, Wea, Aronson, Ariola, and Morris in there. This just makes sense to me. I don't think there's a lot to complain about. People will do that, and, and I can understand that to an extent. But I think this roster is good enough to get results in June. And more importantly, I think it's good enough to help the team prepare for the World Cup. I agree. And I, and I really think the only, there only being two number nines is a major part of that that I hadn't really thought about literally until we started recording this one. That j- just that there's only two. One of them is a player that we don't know a ton about in Haji Wright. We don't know how well he'll fit in, but you want to bring him in because he's kind of got the hot hand at the moment and see if he fits and if he does what he can do. But ultimately, I feel like there's a chance that this has been Burhalter changing it up and seeing who fits best against like different opponents in different situations. And my hope is that what he's landed on is that Jesus Ferreira ticks the most boxes of any of our number nine options right now. Mm. So I'm going to give him a lot of minutes to really get the reps in to learn exactly what I'm asking and, and to refine some things that he wasn't able to do last time or wasn't able to do as well. My hope is that this means we have come to kind of land upon Ferreira 
as the number nine, and then there can be challengers below him or challengers to that throne, but hopefully that's what this means because I would like that stability. What I wouldn't like, weirdly... Is seeing something like Tim Ream start, or t- Tim Ream, that would be weird. Tim Wea starting at number nine. Tim Ream shouldn't start there either. But if Wea is like a number nine in a game, to me, that is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I, I don't know if that's what we need to be doing at this point either. So my hope is that we see maybe Jesus Ferreira start three games or at least two games, but gets a lot of minutes. And then hopefully we get Haji yeah. Wright gets one start and a decent number of minutes as well. I'm totally on board with that. A Ferreira, Pulisic, Wea front three for that yep. first game against Morocco. Mm-hmm. That gets you reps. And I think you need that. All three of those players figure to be key players at the World Cup. Get those guys on the field. Get Musa and De La Torre and Adams on the field if they're all fit and ready to go. Get Zimmerman and, and whoever at center back. Get Jedi and, and DeAndre Yedlin or Reggie Cannon or Joe Scally, whoever that right back is going to be. Get those guys on the field and, and get Matt Turner on the field with him in goal. There we go. All right, Joe Lowry, thank you for taking the time this Friday afternoon. This was uh, when the news broke that we were getting the roster today. This was a very impromptu uh, uh, scheduling, uh, but I appreciate your ability to be flexible, to roll with it, to be on the call, and to talk to me today. Right back at you now. Just waiting on Greg to make that call, and, and we'll be good to go. By there that call, go. I mean calling me. Just to very clear. <laughs> Listeners, uh, while we wait for that call, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Joe and Ryan will be with you next week. I am off next week. Graham is still off next week. Uh, but then all four of us will be back the week after that. Uh, but until then, goodbye from, goodbye from me, Joe and Ryan. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>